was there like anything in particular that shifted your career or it was just like a decision you made? And we have this syndrome uh, uh, called the imposter syndrome. And uh, I think the biggest fear that I have nowadays is, is when I publish a, an article or a book and I say, oh my God, people are actually going to read this stuff. Speaking of uh, fake, fake news, truth and controversies, how do these controversies, especially the ethical dilemmas that are surrounding these controversies, define the process of science communication? To be understood in a broader socio-political context, that scientists are humans just like uh, any other uh, professionals out there. So they're not really free from their biases and prejudices, their interests, and so forth. Hello everyone and welcome to our podcast. My name is Nadia Al-Hinai and this is a podcast where four research assistants, Shafaq Zia, Hakim Al-Maqdad, Alyssa Maflah, and I work with Professor Anto Mohsen to research different aspects of science journalism in the COVID-19 era. Welcome back to our podcast, everyone. Today, we are joined with another special guest. Today, we have Professor Jairo Lugo Ukando, who specializes in media studies and international relations. He is also the director of the executive and graduate education and professor in residence at Northwestern University in Qatar. He was also the news editor-in-chief of Venezuela's Diero La Verdad. Hopefully, I'm pronouncing that correctly. He has also worked as a journalist and freelance writer for several news organizations in Venezuela, USA, Peru, and Colombia. So hello, Professor, and welcome. We are all so happy for you to be joining us today. We have some very interesting questions that our co-hosts will be asking you later. But before we get into those questions, Professor, can you go ahead and kind of lay out the basis of what science and health journalism looks like today, and especially in the COVID-19 era? Thank you very much, and thanks for the invitation. I think uh, uh, the first thing I will say is that it's becoming even more relevant. I mean, the need of uh, uh, to disseminate, but also to change and exchange ideas about about science and health is becoming increasingly important as our society. As you, as we can see with the with the crisis of uh, the, this pandemic that is uh, uh, all over the world. One of the things that people need to know is information of what what to do, and not not only like uh, using a mask and washing your hands, but also to understand the the pandemic, the virus itself, and how it spreads. And uh, I think this is uh, this is something that um, not only improve the ability of society to react and to mobilize itself um, in, in order to address this type of, of situation, but also um, it's useful because it makes uh, society far more rational in the way they takes decisions. So I would say that um, as, a, as a broad picture is the way individuals in, in, in the collective society exchange, and in, in particular about so, as, as science journalism is about the way particular individuals, individuals or news organizations uh, disseminate and communicate news about science. Perfect. We'll move on to our very first question from our co-host. Hi, uh, Professor Hyron. It's so great to have you here. <laughs> so um, when you just by, by just a, like a Google search by your name, and then you find your name is associated with academia, like a lot. So I'm wondering why did you choose this path? Why you can work in like big cooperation, you know, like our big organizations 
um, with such like you have a lot of experience. You know, I've been an academic for the past 20 years. Before that, I work as a journalist. I, I, I work as a, as a reporter. I started as a, as a, 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 beat, a beat reporter. I did a lot of, uh, I, I did science, but I also did crime reporting, for example, at a stage in my life. Um, um, I, we created a radio station here in Qatar called Golf for Radio uh, 98.3, which is, uh, and we, you know, I set up the newscast there. And, you know, some people my same age started in academia, my, under my same age, and, you know, had a much more prolific career than I have in academia because they started much before than I did in academia. But the, the, uh, over one decade I spent as a journalist, I will not change it for anything. It was a fantastic period of my life, which, you know, exciting. Um, but now I think it's a different thing, you know, in academia it's very different. Um, working with students, um, but also researching is something very interesting. Uh, but this ability to exchange ideas in class, in the classroom, that also is also fantastic, you know. Um, and also when you see the students when they light their, their eyes, when they actually get it, uh, something that you're explaining and you say, oh my God, they got it. Uh, it's a fantastic and thrilling experience that I wouldn't change for anything either. Uh, but Professor Jairo, like, is, was there like anything in particular that shifted your career or it was just like a decision you made? No, I never decided. And you know, in that sense, it's like, uh, I'm always saying that I'm an accidental academic. I never planned to this. You know, I, I know <laughs> friends of mine, they're always, they were like, when we were in high school, they would say, oh, I want to be a professor one day. I never thought of that. I actually, you know, we, we in academia, there's a lot of people who, uh, because I've spoken with him, them, and we have this syndrome uh, uh, called the imposter syndrome. And uh, I think the biggest fear that I have nowadays is, is when I publish a, an article or a book and I say, oh my God, people are actually going to read this stuff. Funny enough, I didn't really have that problem with journalism, you know, because I felt very confident as a journalist of what I was writing. Thank you, Professor, for your take on that. Now we will move on to Shafak, our other co-host, for her question. Hi, Professor. It's so yeah. nice to see you outside of the science and health journalism course. Thank you. Um, so I was wondering, as someone who grew up in Venezuela, and you mentioned that you worked there as a reporter, um, so now that you're in academia, how does that background impact the kind of research that you conduct or the topics that you choose to work on? Thank you. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's a, a very interesting question. I think, uh, you know, uh, I think everybody brings their own perspective into uh, into their work. And I think that's what happens. I mean, I am, I, I consider myself somebody who has multiple identities. I literally, literally uh, wrote a book that it was in a way inspired by my own experience of being a journalist in the Global South and comparing that to what it is to be a journalist in the Global North. And uh, if you read a lot of the books and works that uh, are produced, now, uh, have been producing the in the past few years about media journalism. Uh, they're fundamentally from the perspective of the north because the people who wrote them or researched them and produced them were people based in Europe or the United States, uh, Australia, and of course, you know, it's it's very difficult when you find to find that uh, uh, you know a, a book about let's say uh, uh, about uh, media and and development. Uh, written in the north has 
a particular set of authors, cit citations and paradigms that he uses to analyze the phenomenon. And then you read a similar book from somebody in the South. And I, 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 it happens that I, because I've been able to read in several languages, you know, I, I get hold of these other books and read all its perspectives. And, and it's, it's easier because neither uh, I, I cite each other. I mean, and I think one of the advantages that I have is that I came with a different perspective. So when I in integrate myself in discussions with our colleagues from uh, the rest of the world, we tend to see this uh, th uh, things very different. I mean, we, so I think, I, I think um, uh, 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 what I bring to the table is the fact that I bring a, a, a different perspective of, what, of how things are, are analyzed, phenomenons are analyzed. I think that's definitely a wonderful point that you've made. Um, and that's something I've learned as well um, as someone who is, you know, um, a journalist. And another thing that I really wanted to ask you outside um, after taking your course was that I realized during the course that it involved a lot of in-depth discussions around number of science controversies. And I was just wondering, you know, how do these controversies, especially the ethical dilemmas that are surrounding these controversies, define the process of science communication? Yeah, uh, but, but when, when you talk about controversies, uh, and, and, you know, uh, there are what I call real controversies and fake controversies, now, now that we're using the term fake news. Now, uh, the, the, the real controversies uh, in science if you go strictly to science, are controversies that are uh, produced by the object of study or the epistemological, that is the way that knowledge is gathered and, and, and produced, and the, and the epistemology in which the science approaches that. So for example, the, 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 you know, the, the, a phenomenon in the, in the ocean and uh, the sea can be appreciated in a way by a biologist or very different by a by an oceanographist, or the, uh, even very different by uh, uh, um, a geographer, you know. So the the way that science deal with the sense creates controversies around around the way that knowledge uh, that knowledge is produced, but also the knowledge itself. Now there's there, the, and I and I regret having used the term fake controversy because they're really not fake in many cases. They are, they are what we're going to call social controversies. In other words, that, those controversies are produced by the clash or by the tensions between science and society. And that is what we, don't, we do not understand about science, that science is not an isolated entity that happens in the vacuum in a society. It's very intrinsic to the rest of society, and, and as such, it, 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 it brings with it all the goods and bads of society itself. It reflects society itself in its structure, in its operation, and its practice. Thank you for that, Professor. Now we will move on to Alyssa for her question. Speaking of uh, fa fake news, truth, and controversies, what are some of the trusted sources that you look uh, for um, for your information? Um, I'm gonna, the easy and, and simple answer should be, of course, scientists, you know. Uh, scientists are, should be the most trusted um, uh, sources because scientists um, are the people who work on the ground in their labs or in their spaces and they produce um, uh, um, what should be um, uh, uncontested 
empirical evidence to support their views? And that is the short answer. But of course, I never, as, <laughs> as somebody from the humanities and social science, I don't give simple answers. <laughs> um, I think it's far more complicated than that. Um, to start with, scientists, scientists are also human beings who operate within organizational structures. Um, in fact, study after study after study about the use of sources in science news demonstrate that in fact, in very few occasions is the scientist who speaks to the media, to the journalist. It, it, they always speak through mediated, mediated actors like PR officers, corporate communications officers. So when you have a PR a press release that contains the declarations of a journal of a scientist or a press conference that they organize, all these are media events that are staged and organized by different actors. That's the first thing. The second thing is not true that scientists are, are these pure individuals who have no interest. Thank you so much, Professor Hyrer, for all of that insightful detail. Uh, we also have here Professor Anto Mohsen, who I'm sure would love to comment on some of the thoughts that you have shared with us today. Thank you, Hyro. That was really, really insightful. Uh, I am really glad to hear that so many of the things that you've uh, said earlier uh, is what I'm trying to teach students in the classroom, that science needs to be understood in a broader socio-political context, that scientists are humans just like uh, any other uh, professionals out there. So they're not really free from their biases and prejudices, their interests and so forth. Um, understanding science can produce both good things and bad things as well. And, and often uh, negative unintended consequences is, is the same thing that I've been uh, trying to teach my students as well. Um, what I want to know, though, specifically, is that you've published a number of books already. Which of those books addresses specifically on science journalism? I would say particularly a, a book I published in 2017, which is called Developing News. I produced a whole chapter there that actually looks at the way science was used in the, during the Cold War to create particular narratives. That's a, a very, you know, that's an area that I'm very passionate about and I'm hoping to write um, a book in itself about that in the near future, um, which is uh, science as a, as a discourse of power in the media, in the news media. And uh, um, I, I can tell you, you know, uh, as a fact, uh, in, the, in the current book that just came out, uh, Journalism in the Global South, um, one of the things I highlight in that book is that a lot of the training of journalists in the Global South and the way that the West was able to um, introduce particular values like um, impartiality, objectivity, etc., was through science journalism, you know, because it was considered apolitical. So science journalism was very pivotal in the developing of a news culture in the number in the global south that reflected the north and uh, some of the stuff that i try to address in my in my, in my uh, books is that untold story of that uh, we have now a contract uh, with palgrave for a book uh, with i'm writing a book about science journalism in the in the arab world 
with with my colleague from Saudi Arabia, and we're, we were working on this book, um, which is reflects uh, uh, the the study. And and we have a you know a research project for uh, with with Professor Anton on on science uh, journalism in Qatar, which we got from the Qatar National Research Fund, um, and it's amazing to work with this right now because there's very little, almost nothing written in the Arab world about science journalism. Uh, you know, I would love as a director of executive education and graduate education in the future to have a PhD program here to train future professors who can act actually train um, uh, themselves, other um, uh, scholars and students in, this, in the global south to work in, in, in science journalism, but we're doing a lot. I mean, we open the, we, we actually have three or four courses in our own uh, curriculum in the, in the school. Uh, I think one or two from, from liberal arts and we have uh, one from communication and one, the one I teach in journalism. So if somebody wants to specialize in their degree in science, in journalism, science communication, they could easily take a pathway that allows them to that. We don't have enough courses yet to, that, to have a minor, but you know, I'm, I'm doing as much as I can from a research side. I'm shifting now to almost everything in science communication now that I'm working for the next two or three years, but also in terms of educational provision, we're trying to create pathways and elements that can allow students in Qatar or studying and living in Qatar to, to develop uh, uh, specialize in that, in that area. I agree with you that uh, a course or several courses, even a minor in science journalism is needed here at Northwestern University in Qatar. Thank you so much, Professor Hayro, and thank you to our great co-host for asking such interesting questions that has yielded for Professor Hayro to share such interesting and fascinating details of science journalism and communication now and before. It's a very insightful experience to have someone with such a unique and informative background to share their perspective with us. So we thank you for that. So thank you everyone for listening and that's the end of our episode. Thank you for listening to Science Journal Podcast. Don't forget to visit our Instagram page, sciencejournal.qa. This episode was produced by Anto Mohsen, co-hosted by Nadia Hinai, Alyssa Maflah, Hakim Al-Maqdad, Shafaq Zia, and edited by Shafaq Zia, Nadia Hinai, Alyssa Maflah, and Ahmed Jassim. Graphics and artwork by Ahmed Jassim. <laughs>